Oh, man, what does individually uh, individual liberty rest upon? Uh, Jonathan Emord's got another great article. We're going to talk about that. What is about that Second Amendment? How does that play itself out in terms of defense of liberty? Uh, we've got a lot to discuss with Jonathan catching up on the campaign trail. He's got another huge endorsement from a health freedom organization. Also, uh, oh, there's an interesting question. Did liberalism fail? I, I would add classical liberalism because when we talk about a modern liberalism in the definition, it's completely different <laughs> than uh, classical. But uh, also uh, public health issues, prescription drug use in the U.S. This is where I, you know, I'm greatly disappointed in my own country that I grew up in and I love dearly. My gosh, we're on too many darn drugs. Can I say that? I just did. 6.3 billion prescriptions. Uh, selenium, a great article on selenium. Uh, I told you so, I think it'll be. Questions of the day on sinus health and more. Coming up next on the Robert Scott Bell Show, robertscottbell.com slash listen. And of course, you can link up to Jonathan E. Mord, Sacred Fire of Liberty Edition at emord4va.com. You're going to want to support him if you haven't done so already. So let's get this healing party started right about now. The Robert Scott the Bell Robert Show. Scott Bell Show. The voice of health, freedom, and liberty. The Robert Scott Bell Show. Upon what foundation does uh, liberty rest? And does liberty actually rest or is it require active engagement in defense of it? And if we recognize that it does indeed require active engagement in defense of it, what will you utilize? What can you, what should you, what should you have access to, to utilize in defense of individual liberty? And when I say that, I mean, life, liberty, pursuit of happiness, property, defense of all of those things. Jonathan E. Mord, Sacred Fire of Liberty time here on the Robert Scott Bell Show, joins me now running for the U.S. Senate. Emord4va.com has got a new article, uh, an incredible, another great one, and it's here at Town Hall. We've got it linked up in the show notes. Individual liberty depends on the Second Amendment. Why? Why would you say such a thing, Jonathan? Well, because it's the truth, Robert. It's the truth that the Second Amendment is really responsible for defense of all of our rights, including the existence of a free government in the framers concept of republic so why is that well you have to start with the british antecedents that led up to this and you find that after the glorious revolution when the king <clears throat> was basically uh, shackled by parliament and parliament became the major source of power in england uh, the english adopted a thing called the, the bill of rights by act of parliament and that bill of rights uh be, gave defense to uh, protestants who had been persecuted prior to the glorious revolution by the stuart kings the jameses who uh, who were persecuting catholics and part of the persecution involved depriving them of weapons so that they could not defend themselves against the religious persecution so the Founding Fathers were very uh, familiar with this whole history, but they broke fundamentally with England on one key point, and that is they thought all rights come from God, that they are natural rights from God, given you at birth, 
and that you don't have to ask leave of anybody, Parliament or the Crown or any other official, for your rights. They are unalienable and with you at birth. This revolutionary concept, which is introduced by John Locke in his second treatise on government, was something the Founding Fathers believed in fundamentally. You find a universal agreement that our rights come from God in the founding generation. And then um, what they what that means in the context of the Second Amendment is that your right to self-defense and your right to form a militia in defense of a free government that protects your rights is fundamental, is pre-political, is given you at birth and cannot be taken away. Now that's crit a critical distinction because in England, Parliament could say, oh no, you have no right to a weapon anymore. We gave you that right, we can take it away. And that's in fact what they did. But in our country, the government has no such power because the Bill of Rights is understood to be a limit on the power of government, not just Congress, not just mm -hmm. the executive branch, not just the judicial branch, but all branches of government, both federal and state. Jonathan, can you reiterate how significant the leap was from what you talk about in your article? And of course, you've, you've covered the history extensively in your numerous books, but the idea that uh, an act of parliament would then grant rights, again, in England at the time, a bill of rights, quite different from what we ended up doing in America, that is also different from what we've discussed as well, the parliamentary procedure granting rights, charter of rights, like in, in Canada, for instance. How significant was it? Was there a historical precedent prior to the United States of America founding, founding Declaration of Independence to the Constitution? Was there a, in history a nation that acknowledged that rights of the people preexisted the existence of the government and came from a creator, God, not government? No. It first happened here. It has not since been able to be effectuated to the extent of bringing about a republic equal to ours. And this is the last best hope of freedom on earth. Our country is the last best hope. And so it is that when it comes to your Second Amendment rights, look at those rights very carefully. You have two component parts of them. One is your right to form a well-regulated militia. And in the time of the founding, they understood the need for a militia to arise because it needed to be a counterweight to a standing army, which they rejected. A standing army in peacetime, they understood to bring about tyranny. They didn't want a standing army. They had experienced it during the colonial era with the British having a standing army in Boston and in Philadelphia and elsewhere during the course of the war. And they did not want a standing army in our country. And so they viewed the citizen militia, which rose up in the revolution and secured the rights for our people against the tyranny of Britain to be the proper recourse. And then they tie that notion of a standing of a, a militia to a free state. And that is the defense of a free state. And what is a free state? In the minds of the founding fathers, a free state is a republic along the lines of the republic created in the Constitution. So they meant for us as citizens to fulfill a duty, which was to be, be part 
and parcel of a militia when there was a need to defend a free state, defend your rights and the state that would protect those rights, a republic. And then the second aspect of this is, of course, the right to uh, keep and bear arms, by which they understood this to be a fundamental right of self-defense that every person has to keep and bear arms. And those two components then are indispensable to protecting individual liberty and sovereignty. Because without the ability to defend your liberty and sovereignty, you cannot expect to keep it for long because mm. those who would wish to take it from you are able to do that. What about the, defend you from it. the mind of people who interpret the Second Amendment and its words with very clear meaning to muddy it, to try to proclaim that it was a right granted to a group as if you could have group rights, right? Because that doesn't make sense. But at the same time, there's such a warped view of it that they say it's a right granted to groups, not individuals. How is this possible? What kind of machination does it take to take that the clear language of that and, and the acknowledgement that all rights are individual in nature and then say, no, 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 this one's different. This one was written only if you're a member of a militia, could you have a gun? And, and then even then we're going to control what kind you have. Well, the right is the right to form a militia. That's an important point because formation of a, a militia is an act of individual action. And it is in pursuit of your individual rights. The founding fathers did not understand the concept that came about in the post-Marxian era of group rights. Furthermore, group rights are nonsensical because right rights uh, in or to the individual, and it is an expression of freedom of choice, which is an individual characteristic. It's not a, uh, there's no such thing as group freedom, uh, for example. There's no such thing as a group right to keep and bear arms. There's just no such thing. It's all an individual right and a freedom of choice. Uh, rights uh, are individualized and responsibilities for the exercise of rights are individualized and the entire concept of law under the Judeo-Christian uh, concept is individual responsibility. You're not held responsible for what your uh, relative does. If your relative commits a crime, you're not thrown in jail because you're related to them. Mm -hmm. Or if you are a member of a group, let's say all brown-haired people, you are not thrown in jail because one brown-haired person does something wrong. Our rights are individualized. Our responsibility is individualized. We believe in due process, which is dependent upon individual rights. So the long and the short of it is the founding fathers had no understanding, literally zero, of rights being something that was acquired by a collective or granted by government. They knew that Parliament had declared a Bill of Rights, but they did not accept the legitimacy, that is our founding fathers, did not accept the legitimacy of government granting rights because they believed, as John Locke had articulated, and as they said over and over again, that individual rights are individualized. For example, you know, we've, I've used this definition many times on the show. Uh, Thomas Jefferson defined rightful liberty as unobstructed action according to will within limits drawn around us by the equal rights of others. He, 
He did not say within the limits of the law because the law is often but the tyrant's will, quoting him again. And he said, always so when it violates the rights of an individual. So tyranny was their enemy and it was the antithesis of individual right. And they fought for individual right and the entire Bill of Rights is an affirmation of individual rights. It's not every right. It's a selective uh, subset of the universe of rights. And we know that because of the Ninth and Tenth Amendments dealing both with rights and powers, that the rights not articulated are still retained by the people. So there are many things associated with liberty that are not articulated in the Constitution, but are nevertheless protected from government mm-hmm. because they're reserved to the people and protected. Isn't that another aspect of the Bill of Rights, but you know, given to you by Parliament, which would say these are the things we're going to let you do or have, as opposed to our Bill of Rights under the U.S. Constitution or within it? It was a set of restrictions against government that would normally violate those rights that they didn't even consider were rights prior to. Uh, you know, the, again, the dawning of the Declaration of Independence and all that it led to. That's right. Uh, the founding fathers understood uh, rights to be against government, not from government, but against government. Uh, it was to be a bulwark of liberty, as they many times referred to it. A bulwark against what? Against government intrusion. They understood the history of the world to be one of tyrants abusing individuals and denying them rights. They rejected, as did Locke, the divine right of kings. What was that? Well, uh, uh, the notion of a divine right of kings uh, is this, that only the king has rights from God, that all others who wish to function can do so only by leave of the king, because the king has all the rights. Well, the founding fathers turned that on the on its head, and they not only rejected a absolute monarch and rejected monarchy and parliament as a structure, but they also believed that rights are individualized, given to us at birth, and that government is after the creation of rights. In other words, our rights pre-exist government. Yeah, that is so distinct and and different than any other country, even as those have emulated uh, some of which the the constant what was written in our Constitution. But nobody's really duplicated it. Nobody perhaps has gone to the depths of of the founders to recognize the historical uh, uh, need to restrict government in the way that our founders did and the warning they gave or left for us. Should we ever fall asleep on our duty to defend liberty? to be vigilant in defense and to recognize, yeah, there are certainly uh, risks of foreign invasion, especially now with what's going on on our borders. But at the time, the real risk was we would be invaded from within. In other words, our government and the people in it would become corrupt as man can be because, you know, even though we are created of God, God gave us choice agency and man often makes really poor choices uh, and violates the rights of others in the process. Uh, So, again, this is such a distinct, not only history lesson, but something that's very critical contemporarily because of uh, the abandonment by so many young people that have been taught to hate America and that there's nothing good that it stands for. 
Well, remember, dating back to the Declaration, the second paragraph, the idea of the written Constitution of the United States was that it was necessary to have the Constitution be in writing because in order to create a just government, the people had to consent to the powers being given to the government because any power given would have to come from the people. They would relinquish that power, but only if the government was constricted by uh, limits to its use of power and a defense of the people's liberty. So that's why we have a Bill of Rights appended as amendments to the Constitution. That's why we have a written Constitution. As, as had, had been said since John Locke's time in, in the Second Treatise, the Constitution is a compact or social compact. It is an agreement between those who would govern and the people. And it is only legitimate if it is by the people's consent. So we have the four underpinnings of, the, of what defines an American and what defines the Constitution in the second paragraph of the, the uh, Declaration of Independence. All men are created equal, meaning there are no kings at birth here. No one has a right by birth to be superior to any other person. All men are created equal, endowed mm -hmm. by their creator with certain unalienable rights, among them the rights to life, liberty, and property. The governments are instituted among men for the very purpose of protecting the rights of the governed, and that just governments derive their power from the consent of the governed. So in all of this, it means we rule. We are the sovereigns and the government has to be our servant. And that is absolutely unprecedented and truly revolutionary in the history of the world. Well, and it, it, it hasn't lasted as long as I'd like it to last, although I'm not giving up and I know you're not giving up, but many Americans have been raised to believe that they are subjects. They are subjugated by government, that their rights, which are privileges and it granted by government. And so we've, we've lost our way due to believe it or not, government involvement in education, you know, under the guise of, yeah, we want to, we want to make it a standard, you know, we're going to make the standards better. It's like, no, you standardized it to the lowest common denominator to teach people that they have no rights by their vir virtue of their very creation. And that they now believe, perceive that rights come from government here in America. A lot of people believe that. Yeah, they have been misled, as you point out, by an education system that has perverted and condemned the founding generation. Uh, the common uh, false dogma communicated to children in school is that the founding fathers were racist, that the Constitution is racist. To, to quote Anne Cain, I mean, she's uh, Anne Cain is Anne Holton Cain, uh, the wife of Tim Cain, my opponent in the election here in Virginia for the United States Senate, uh, she is on the Board of Education in Virginia. And she, in a uh, famous, now famous uh, little diatribe, blew up when the governor's second uh, learning standard for social studies was introduced. And it said simply that the, the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution of the United States are two of the most remarkable documents in defense of liberty in the history of the world. 
Well, that's an un, that's an unremarkable statement, quite frankly, because it is indeed true, foundationally true. Well, Cain objected to this, and she said that the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence are inherently racist documents, that they uh, enshrine slavery, and that they only benefit white propertied males. Now, that view, of course, invalidates her oath, which is a predicate to her service on the board, and she ought to be booted out for that. But, uh, you know, she swore an oath to uphold the Constitution. Well, if you don't believe that the Constitution is valid because you think it's an inherently racist document enshrined slavery and only benefits white property and males, well, then get off the board. But the fact is that she's uh, rather arrogant and assumed that the board would do what she demanded, and she wanted no learning standard of that sort communicated to, uh, to govern the teaching in uh, the schools in Virginia. Now, what she wanted instead was that every child be told what they're already being told, which is false, that the founding fathers were inherently racist individuals and that they wanted to enshrine slavery and that all of these documents that came from the founding fathers enshrine slavery and only benefit white property males. Now, this racist uh, rewrite of history is truly uh, disgusting and very damaging because it's false and it leads kids to hate their own country, hate the Constitution, hate their parents, hate every institution that exists. And so... What it, what's uh, quite interesting is that uh, the truth is really profound and very interesting. Mm-hmm. In an age when slavery was a worldwide phenomenon, Thomas Jefferson included within the Declaration of Independence a paragraph condemning George III for having brought slavery to America because he said that it deprived the people who were enslaved of their rights. Now, you never hear that from Man Cain because it doesn't fit the racist narrative. You also never hear from Man Cain that the founding fathers agreed to a provision which was in the Constitution to ban the international slave trade in the United States, the importation of slaves, because they thought that would end the institution of slavery, which, which they were incapable of ending with the Declaration of Independence. Georgia and South Carolina insisted on a deletion of that paragraph I mentioned that Thomas Jefferson wrote. Mm -hmm. So he wrote it at the same time that he made the profound statement, consistent with a profound statement by Locke, that all men are created equal. What did that mean? Mankind. Again, they say, oh, it only meant white males. Well, you're ignorant because both John Locke and Thomas Jefferson, in context, very plainly meant that term to apply to all mankind, as is readily apparent, from the paragraph I told you was struck because it applied to slaves regardless of gender. And so uh, all of the founding generation actually uh, thought slavery was an abomination. George Washington thought it was a horrible institution. He wanted it to end. The question was, how do you end it? And what they discovered was that if they didn't end it with a universal political approach, that it would ruin financially a whole you know, part of the American economy that upon which everyone was dependent for the resources and wealth necessary to build the nation. So they hated the institution. They wanted it to come to an end. They came up with means to bring it to an end, political means, which not least of which was the banning of the international slave trade for America. 
And it didn't work because the economics of slavery was so beneficial to several of the Southern states that it actually took the Civil War to end it. But remember, Jefferson perceived that there would be a Civil War. He predicted that over the institution of slavery. He woke up in a nightmare and said that the, 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 the whole issue was like a fire bell in the night to him. And it, it uh, shocked him, but he knew that that had to come to a head. And he didn't live to see the Civil War, but that was an ultimate affirmation of the greatness of America that we, among other things, could destroy a vile institution. Now, there are good things and bad things that came out of the Civil War, but when it comes to the institution of slavery, its, its destruction mm -hmm. uh, by the Civil War was certainly a great thing and caused the Declaration of Independence, all men are created equal, to be fulfilled in the achievement of Americans. And this, of course, is also given no credit. And then lastly, they refer to our nation as having been started in 1619. Well, in 1619 at the Jamestown colony, that was under the crown. We were a part of Great Britain. Mm -hmm. We were not an independent nation. That is not the start of America. That was the foundation of British colonialism in America. It is not a sign of what we wanted. We were wholly beholden to the crown. Yeah. So it's, the idea that that's the start of America is so preposterous from the very start. But anyway, yeah, it's absurd. Field here, but that's the we need to be proud of our country. We need to understand that our founding fathers were great. We need to understand that the birthplace of liberty is here and that for the whole world, we have been a beacon of liberty and of justice, uh, really all the way up until the present. Presently, we have an administration that is working as diligently as possible to destroy it and Democrat leadership that are doing the same thing. If you appreciate this cogent and sober uh, perspective on not only history, but what's going on today, you definitely want to see Jonathan E. Moore become the next United States Senator from the Commonwealth of Virginia. Even if you're not in Virginia, it will benefit us all to have someone like Jonathan. In fact, Jonathan himself in the U.S. Senate. And uh, we have links up to emord4va.com, E-M-O-R-D-4-F-O-R-V-A.com. And you could support him from whatever state you're in around the nation. And we'll be giving you updates on upcoming events, that uh, some of which I can attend, others uh, that, that'll be around the country. You'll want to participate in it any way you can. Uh, and uh, this is a, you know amazing journey we're witnessing right now. As you've said, and I've said, many others have said, constitution hanging on by a thread and and you know do we do we go ahead and let it fall or burn or i mean or do we do we say to our kids that we did everything we could and we are doing everything we can while we still have breath uh, to defend the, the the last bastion the first and last bastion i don't know where you know if america fails or falls where does liberty break out what other country has at its basis the freedom and the rights of the people come from a creator that is not government, but God. That's a significant difference and distinction between all other governments that preceded her and uh, maybe what comes after if there is an after. But I will say that I'm not willing to give up on it. And I know, Jonathan, you're not either. That's why we are aligned in mission and purpose in so many ways to get together and fire up, you know, that sacred fire of liberty once again to let you know that, uh, you know, th even though we haven't always lived up to our ideals, Again, 
every country, every nation, every government is made up of human beings fallible. Uh, what we would say is uh, it isn't just a matter of putting good men into office, and that includes good women of, of high caliber integrity, but it also means that, you know, at any time that's likely going to be the minority in, in representation. And so binding them down, whoever they are in government, the government itself, by the change of the Constitution is something we have fallen down on. We have not done a good job of that. And therefore, we see both Democrats and Republicans believe, for instance, many Republicans believe in the Department of Education, even though they don't like what it's teaching. They say, well, if we get a control of it, we can change it and make it better. I'm like, well, what what about the question of why do we want to invest government with the power to educate our children? Because you might take over it tomorrow, but the next day someone else is going to change. I mean, it's like the whole basis of principle first Freedom first, liberty first. Uh, these are the things that, you know, I think about, dream about, and talk about all the time. And I know you you have those same concerns. Well, the Constitution provides no basis for the existence of a Department of Education. Uh, it's a whole cloth creationism. It's what the Founding Fathers understood to be a usurpation of power. And George Washington perhaps put it best when he said that, let there be no change by usurpation. For though in one instance it may be an instrument of good, it is the customary weapon by which free governments are destroyed. The, there is a process by which you can change the Constitution. If you, if you want to be sincere, and I wish everyone would be, mm -hmm. uh, you can, you know, Joe Biden lies every moment and every two seconds and everything that comes out of his mouth is ordinarily a lie. But it, for those of us who tell the truth, the Constitution is a compact, again, with us, and if you're going to be sincere and honest about changing it, you have to amend it under Article 5. If you wanted a Department of Education, you should amend the Constitution. You don't have any inherent power under the Constitution for a Department of Education. You don't have any inherent power under the Constitution for a Department of Energy or a Department of Commerce. There is no such foundational element necessary for the creation of those things in the Constitution. Uh, so. Uh, these are among those institutions that have no tether to the Constitution and are were meant to be done entirely by the states. I mean, the, the orchestration of commerce is a individual thing and a state thing. And the Constitution has a very limited role in preventing the states from disparaging or, or precluding commerce among the states. But we've blown and inflated the Commerce Clause so greatly that we've used it as a vehicle to infuse federal power into things that were never intended to be operated or controlled by the federal government. And that uh, is an abuse. We need to get back to our original Constitution. We need to get back to the limitations on power. Uh, Douglas Ginsburg on the D.C. Circuit has declared uh, the Constitution's limits on power, which are not respected or haven't been for years by the government in general or the courts in particular, a mm -hmm. constitution in exile. Right. Yeah. And we need to restore that constitution and it will give us the greatest benefits we have ever seen. If we limit government power, we expand individual rights and power, we enable people to decide for themselves what's in their own best interest and we get off their back reduce their tax burden substantially and enable them to have uh, free commerce without government 
pre trying to create government planned economies like the climate change agenda, hmm. we will prosper. It's not a it's not a question of whether we will. We will prosper. We will have two dollar a gallon gas. We will have inflation disappear. We will have a country that is absolutely the most powerful in the world. We will have no difficulty financing uh, our military defenses against China. We will have everything that is necessary for future generations to live in freedom and prosperity. This is not a, a magic formula. We know how to do this. We've done it before. And so we need to do it again. And the urgency of getting it done now could not be greater. Yeah. Well, there's a, a Brownstone Institute article I want to talk with you a bit about, and some of which we've covered just kind of the natural course of our conversations on freedom. Uh, it's a question by Toby Rogers there. It said, did liberalism fail? I want to get to that in a moment. But first, I want to remind everybody the links are up in the show notes at robertscoutbell.com. Super Don has just reinstituted a simpler way to subscribe to our newsletter for free. You can text RSB, my initials, RSB to 66866. That's new or renewed because we lost that ability and now we got it back. Uh, for those of you who want to stay in touch with uh, the things we do on this show, simply send RSB in a text message to the number 66866 and uh, you'll be uh, uh, prompted to enter your email address and it makes it as easy as possible to stay in touch with all that we're doing, including what Jonathan Emord's doing because we're keeping you abreast of uh, what's going on with his campaign for the U.S. Senate even when he's not here. And also, he has a Facebook page for it. For those of you still using Facebook, uh, there's a campaign uh, page. And in fact, in that page, I just found out, and, and uh, Jonathan, you mentioned it to us. And I think, Super Don, if you didn't add it to the, to the mix in the show notes, you can show it on screen right now. And it relates to uh, an endorsement, a big endorsement by a health freedom group. Well, I think one of the biggest in the nation, uh, StandForHealthFreedom.com. And they have a big page here. Uh, they have an interview with Jonathan Emord for the U.S. Virginia U.S. Senate in 2024. And it says, Stand for Health Freedom endorses Jonathan Emord for U.S. Senate in Virginia. And that's an interview by Executive Director Leah Wilson. And um, there is no better health freedom candidate, nor has there been, in my mind, my experience in uh, befriending Jonathan Emord, a friend to all of us and our freedom to care for our own bodies to be left alone and not molested by government, forced or uh, or uh, prohibited from caring for our bodies as we see fit, not only the government that has been uh, owned and controlled by uh, pharmaceutical and other interests for a long time because we didn't heed the warning of the founders to not centralize power. And, and you know, all the bureaucracy that would manifest from it as you've tackled and written about in The Rise of Tyranny and others of your books, the bureaucratic oligarchy, which is somewhat equivalent in a, albeit a subtly different way, but it ends up manifesting the same way. We talked about the right of kings, right? The, the, the ability of the kings to claim we, I am the only one that has that power. And I can tell you what you can or can't do, or I can grant you special powers, or I can take them away. And that was, you know, anathema to a foundation of a Republican form of government in America. And yet now we've descended into its equivalence in a bureaucratic state, that seems to have the power of the king, queen and emperor all rolled into one or even a theocracy, which we don't want either because we want freedom of religion. We don't need us, let's say, one religion declared for everybody because that denies the freedom of people of conscience to believe what they want to believe. <sighs> anyway, that's a mouthful, but I had to say it. Well, I'm glad you did, Robert. Uh, one of the, the most profound problems we we are experiencing presently is that 
we have people in government who really don't believe one iota in the Constitution. That's why we say the Constitution hangs by a thread, because they routinely violate it, and they advocate the violation of it. In fact, they despise it, so they condemn it as a racist document, or they condemn it as somehow antithetical to uh, freedom, when it's actually the very opposite. It is the foundation for defense of freedom. When you have people talking about free speech at the university and they're saying that you have to condemn the speech of those that you disagree with as a part and parcel of, of education, they're missing the whole point. But not only that, they end up in, indoctrinating kids with the idea that it's appropriate for those in power to censor views that are contrary to their own. In other words, seditious libel, which was rejected by the Founding Fathers fundamentally. And the whole concept of American liberty hinges on freedom of speech and press, and yet we've witnessed official censorship, collusion between big tech and the White House and CISA and the FBI, all for the purpose of censoring the views of those who are critical of government, critical of the vaccines, critical of the basic uh, integrity of the lack of integrity of the White House. Uh, you've got, you know, a pr person in the White House is the most corrupt politician in the history of the world, Joe Biden. And he's allowed to remain there because we have a two-tiered system of justice in America where those who are in power and in the Democrat Party uh, do not have to answer for their criminality. And those who are in the Republican Party don't have to ha have committed a crime in order to be accused and condemned. Um, it's, it's, a, it's, it's, it's really the destruction of the fundamental principle of equal justice under law, which underlies all of our foundational principles for the prosecution of crime. And so they are for defunding the police and therefore reimagining the relationship between man and the state such that the state controls what we think by denying us access to information that may mm -hmm. enable us to think contrary to what the state wishes us to think. How would you describe uh, the Brownstone Institute opinion piece questioning? You know, th this question, did liberalism fail? Again, knowing that the word liberal and liberalism has been altered in terms of definition when it's written in this context, it's different than what we say a modern liberal leftist progressive Marxist is. Yeah, the idea that classical liberalism, belief in individual liberty uh, and defense of individual liberty is failing is, is ridiculous. Uh, the, the greatest achievements of the history in, in the history of mankind have been a byproduct of defense of individual liberty, of freedom. Uh, what has utterly failed in the history of the world is totalitarianism, socialism communism. That has utterly failed. Not only has it utterly failed economically, but has utterly failed as a system that can be self-sustaining over time. It is just simply impossible. It ends up eating its own young. It ends up basically uh, the wealth of the country is partitioned to the highest uh, ranking communist officials and everybody else is placed into a state of servitude until the revolution comes, until the walls come down, uh, the great, you know, we, until the system collapses. The only people on earth who have been able to achieve absolute totalitarian control 
in and sustain it over a lengthy period of time are the communist Chinese. But even they had to allow for market elements to come into their communist regime in order to feed it the money that was necessary. They had to rely on capitalism. And so it is, it is, that is why uh, they didn't utterly collapse in, in, in upon themselves. But the rest of the world has collapsed. The communist systems have been utter failures. And even in communist China, the people are not in a state of a blissful state. And the state so heavily abuses people, organ harvesting, uh, uh, concentration camps, large numbers of political dissidents are in, in, in kept in these camps. They're forced to work in slave conditions. They're forced to be available for organ harvesting and they're brutally mistreated. And that is considered okay because they are enemies, deemed enemies of the state merely because of the religions that they profess. Um, and you know, I've met many times with the Falun Gong here in the United States who are dissidents from Xi Jinping's regime only because he refuses to allow them to have their form of Buddhism practiced in China. And so he locks them up, he makes them available for organ harvesting. Uh, they have no rights and they are treated like slaves. Well, that is the history of, of communism and socialism world around. The greatest number of deaths of people in the history of the world have come about because of communism, because of forcing people to do the will of an absolute dictator. And um, so, what is the inevitable course of mankind? Well, the inevitable course of mankind is in the direction of freedom because people will not long toil under communism or socialism. They will always buck that system. Now, where are we? Well, we are on the precipice of falling into an abyss of communism and socialism. We are heading in that direction, down the abyss. And we have to prevent ourselves from falling precipitously into a crushing state of economic debt and servitude, or we will become a communist state. The greatest nation in the history of the world, the one for which liberty actually became a beacon to the world, will have that beacon eliminated, its light taken from it, and be turned into a pedestrian communist state not unlike any other communist state, unless we act now mm -hmm. in the upcoming elections to fight for those who will fight for freedom and do everything in their power to save us from that horror mm -hmm. that will otherwise come. That's why I'm doing this. That's why I'm running, as you know, Robert. That's my motivation. And if I can win this race, I will not rest until all of this is destroyed on the communist side of things. Mm -hmm. I'm not gonna allow my country to become a communist state. I'm not gonna let radical, uh, uh, radical people take over our property, take over our liberty, take over our lives. And that's where we're going. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you didn't like BLM in the streets and Antifa, burning down property, destroying people, uh, killing people and actually destroying their property. If you didn't like that, if you thought that was outrageous, you need to act because that is where we will go unless we fight against it.
I mean, when you watch all this stuff with the Palestinians and Hamas all over the United States condemning Israel and attacking Jews and, in, you know, chasing after Jews in an American airport to hunt them down. Uh, these are barbarians. These are people who want to cause injury. Do not mistake this. This is not normal protest. It's not someone saying to another person, I disagree with you. Mm -hmm. It's one person saying to another person, I want to kill you. Yeah, I, I don't believe That's you have a right to exist. Uh, Jonathan, that's an important distinction here because uh, we have perspectives and beliefs and we share them on this show, but I, I've never heard you once say someone should not have the right to have an opposing view to anything that we've said. That's never our, been our perspective. And we want to be able to engage in the debate, the, the discussion of ideas. And in that, we believe our ideas are better and they'll win out when we can clearly uh, elucidate them in, a, in, a, um, in and amongst a free people. Now, in the U.S. Senate, where you will be, is an area where I don't hear enough of this intelligent debate, discourse, and discussion. You know, it's a lot of the emotional reactionism. Uh, and, you know, even as we see the things happening on the global scale, it's just horrific and heart-wrenching to witness, you know, the mass deaths that are occurring elsewhere. Uh, I look at one of the things that occurred in the last few years, and that is the so-called public health sector. There's another article here from Brownstone, an opinion piece by David Bell, which we've referred to before. Uh, and it says, how did the corruption of public health happen? Well, first and foremost, I, I want to define public health as, uh, uh, let's say, a misunderstanding or a misapplication of something that may have merit. That is, you want to provide the, the greatest environment for the for the best health of the people. But to do that in collectivism or Marxism, to to then come forward with an idea that we have this injection, just for instance, or this method of covering your mouth so you can't to restrict your breathing uh, in order to exist in the society. And then and then utilize something called public health to foment and, and push an agenda of collectivism, Marxism, progressivism on the people. It tells me that public health has to be, let's say, dismantled and, and we look at it, what is legitimate in it and what is actually Marxist about it, right? Collectivism played upon the people under the guise of the fear for their health. And then we use that to grow government, to intrude on every aspect of our lives, the most fundamental aspects of our lives, our health, our ability to care for our health, our family, our children. And then we use that as a justification battering ram to take children from their parents or transgender them through cancer-causing chemicals that are injected or altering them surgically. And you see where this expansion of public health concept goes, but it never acknowledges what we've been discussing today, the right of the individual to be left alone, as well as to determine or self-determine without coercion and deception and, uh, let's say, obliteration of that freedom, again, that we talk about the rights coming from God. Well, the whole idea of, quote unquote, public health is fraudulent. Why do I say that? Because health is an individual thing. Uh, my biome, my, uh, my health is entirely different from yours in this respect. In order to treat my ailments, you have to understand the unique characteristics of me and my ailment. A one-size-fits-all approach to medicine has been the bane of modern medicine. It has not worked. It has not succeeded in eradicating disease 
to the extent that it has arrested all the symptomology. And the reason is that true medicine is a science and is dependent upon individual assessment of your symptoms and a focused treatment to go after those symptoms by treating in the end the underlying cause, which will be different from person to person. Even when, and you know, no greater example of this exists of the lie of public health than what they tried to do with the COVID vaccine. The COVID vaccine was a fraud from the start, but the COVID vaccine uh, and all the subsequent boosters were predicated on a notion that everybody would respond the same. And they said that. They said that it's safe and efficacious, meaning that it is safe for everyone and it will be effective for everyone. Well, they quickly discovered that those who were vaccinated in enormous numbers were still contracting COVID. They quickly found that those who were vaccinated, who they said would not carry the disease, actually everyone can carry the disease who's vaccinated. Is that a vaccine? Okay, then when you come to the ultimate of all this, we have numerous adverse events associated with the artificial spike proteins generated by the modification of your DNA. And those, they said, you would have a localized reaction in your arm and that the spike proteins would not migrate throughout your body. That too is a lie, they do. So what is public health? Public health is the politicization of medicine. It is the bureaucratization of medicine. It is the socialization of medicine. And as where all bureaucracies work, and as where all socialism has come to be, it is a failure. Mm -hmm. It is a failure. And when it hurts you the most, it's in the health area. Because when I go to a doctor, I don't want that doctor to go through a uh, catalog of drugs to determine which drug most closely fits the symptomology that I have. I want that doctor to instead evaluate my health condition and give me what is best in his judgment or her judgment for me, for my particular condition. Yeah, and what if it isn't a, a, a deficiency of any, of any... I'm sorry, Jonathan, I just had to throw this out there. What if it is uh, not in any way, shape, or form a deficiency of any drug that would manage your symptoms? Which you know, of right. course, from a nutritional perspective. And there are many good doctors that want to practice nutrition that weren't taught it in medical oh, school, by the way, and were right. attacked viciously in COVID, under COVID. Example, Robert. So, for example, omega-3 fatty acids. I mean, omega-3 fatty acids can reduce the risk of coronary artery disease. In fact, when I petitioned the government and OMB, OMB came to an independent determination that if omega-3 fatty acids were consumed uh, in the dose levels we were recommending by all adults, that the incidence of sudden death heart attack in the United States would go down by as much as 100,000 lives a year being saved. And so, uh, you know, that is fascinating, isn't it? That in lieu of a drug treatment for everyone, if you were to have diet modification and omega-3 fatty acids, you would reduce the incidence of heart attack and stroke substantially. But again, what is the right dose? 
Well, that's dependent upon your diet. It's an individualized thing. Mm -hmm. What is the right dose for you? What is the right dose given your heart history, your health history of the omega-3 fatty acids? I mean, all of this is individualized. The best medicine is the medicine that tailors treatment to your specific condition. Best medicine exactly. is not a Medicare system, which says that if you dare as a physician treat someone with more of a particular agent in the treatment of their disease than is typical, you're an outlier and you're subject to audits. If you treat them with less the, of the pharmaceutical medication than is recommended, you are underutilizing Medicare uh, uh, facilities and therefore you are also engaged in what they consider to be Medicare fraud. In other words, we chain physicians so that they can't practice medicine. Mm -hmm. They instead must practice bureaucratized medicine, which is a one size fits all approach to the treatment of disease. And that does not work. Mm -hmm. Sure, it'll help some people who happen to be in that zone, but a lot of people will fall off on either side and will be hurt by it mm -hmm. because they weren't given what they needed. With a few minutes we have left with you today, Jonathan, I want to address the issue of medical and health freedom. Some have argued that we have to have a monopoly for medicine because, my gosh, if anybody could be out there claiming to be able to help you in your health, that people would be dying left, right, and center across, you know, this is the argument of safety. Yet under the medical monopoly, with FDA drug approval processes, et cetera, all fully intact, the most bureaucratized form of our government, just about anything, uh, modern medicine has been uh, assessed to be the third leading cause of death. Some say that's a gross understatement. And under COVID, even more horrendous has occurred. Under monopoly protection acts, what would you say to those who feel like, oh, if we allowed health freedom truly to flourish in America, more people would die? <laughs> I mean, yeah, that uh, makes no sense because look, all of these people who are put on ventilators, all these people who were denied access to hydroxychloroquine or ivermectin early treatments uh, of all kinds. Were they benefited by give, being given a answer that the, your only option is to be vaccinated and that if you weren't vaccinated, you won't even get medical care? Or if you were not vaccinated, uh, our solution is to put you on a ventilator if you get worse. We're not going to actually give you any uh, of the indicated treatments around the world like ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine. They went on a campaign. This is all. This is why the politicization of medicine, which is public health. The politicization of medicine is a destruction of science. They do it in Orwellian terms. They said, follow the science. We are following the science. At the same time that they were suppressing the science about ivermectin, they were suppressing the science about hydroxychloroquine. They were uh, suppressing every critical statement uh, that was made in the scientific community or in the public against the vaccines. They did not allow doctors to publish freely their views as to what would work and what would not. They kept us in a state of ignorance. And I'm telling you, the only way to treat a novel disease successfully is on an individual basis. And the only way to enable physicians to do it successfully is to have a wide open, robust debate environment in which they can communicate what has worked 
and what is not and allow them to come to the best conclusion in an individual case with their patients participating. Mm -hmm. That's how we win over disease. That's how we won over disease historically. It's not through a one size fits all approach. It's by allowing the practice of medicine. And I mean that broadly to include yes. all modalities of healthcare. Yes, think and about all. Patients, you know, we, this is our body. These are our bodies individually. They're mm -hmm. our lives. We have a right to say what we want and do not want with regard to our own treatment. And mm -hmm. when government stands in the way as a barrier to accessing treatments, it does us an enormous disservice. And in fact, it may be responsible for our deaths. And I believe that tens of thousands of people in the United States died unnecessarily because they were deprived of access to early treatments by the actions of the federal government, the CDC, and the FDA. And local departments of health at the state level and many governors that bought into it fully, and they didn't push back as states under the 10th Amendment to say, you don't have the authority, you federal boneheads. And medical and, courts, which were yeah. just ruinous to many physicians who dared to deviate. Yeah, the state boards of medicine also. You're right. And, and let's think about this as we wrap up our discussion. And again, great, cogent sober discussion and we've got a lot of nice comments coming in thank you barbara thank you damien thank you everybody commenting and listening live or later on on our discussion uh, the idea that we could take those same people that got everything so horribly wrong and say well let them lead us out of this morass and do better as opposed to what about all those voices who were right crying out in the wilderness whether they were medical naturopathic herbal homeopathic etc why not look to those who are right and say well, I wonder why they were right. I wonder if we can integrate some of that and do better as opposed to mandating me mediocrity, medical mediocrity, which is rooted once again in collectivism, one size fits all. And maybe you get lucky, but I'm not willing to put my life up to luck. I want to respond and I want to be responded to in terms of individual needs. And that's the the message here, you know, and going back to fundamental uh, defense of individual liberty, which your great article today that we opened today about the Second Amendment place and that, uh, you know, important place and how we defend that liberty when it uh, the bureaucracy has all the guns and we have none. We're toast. <laughs> you know, there's nothing you can do. So that's such an important message, Jonathan. I appreciate you so much for bringing it. You bet, Robert. It's been great. Yep. Everybody, you want to invest in the restoration of America, invest in Jonathan E. Mord's campaign for the United States Senate, Virginia. And you can go to emord4va.com, emord4va.com. And we have links directly there and you can contribute anywhere in any of the states of this great nation. Thank you for being here. We got a whole other hour of broadcast healing yet to go. You, me and Super D coming up. Uh, we've got a lot. Oh, even a homeopathic hit. We got questions of the day, comments of the day. Thank you for being here. God bless you. Thank you, Jonathan E. Mord. The power to heal, even politically is yours. The Robert Scott Bell Show. Scott Bell Show. Hour two. You want to know what it is? It's you, me, and Super D. Where is Super Don when you need him? I think he's still around. Heading out afterwards to Arizona. And you were there for a while before Arizona. <clears throat> remember on your trips across country years ago? I drove through Arizona. My kids lived in Arizona. Uh, That's right. 
for uh, uh for a little while yeah until they all moved up here <laughs> Were you, did you go through there when it's like 120 degrees in the shade, that kind of day? Yeah. In fact, I, I, uh, I drove through Arizona on my way to Austin, Texas to go work with Mike Adams for, for about a year yeah. on a project that he had going on out there. So that was, that was part of the trip going through the, it, and it was, I think it was, it was like, you know, worst time to go, you know, nice. it was like middle of summer and I was driving. It was funny because <clears throat> I got, I got the invitation to go help him out with a project Mm-hmm. I was like, cool. Yeah. And uh, I I didn't have a whole lot of money, but I needed to get there. And so I found a guy on uh, Craigslist that was selling a van. And it was a van that he had gotten out of a junkyard and had worked on and got it to run. Wow. And so I spent like 800 bucks on a on an old Dodge Caravan. Yeah. Uh, and the air conditioning didn't work. And one of the windows didn't roll down. <laughs> it was just like whatever i gotta get there right yeah so my wife and i threw everything we own into this van and we were driving through you know arizona and, and oklahoma and new mexico you know all this stuff and it's just oh it's so hot and, and this passenger side window wouldn't roll down oh my gosh and, yeah it was insane and then it was somewhere along the 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 way there she got this brilliant idea and i just it's like amazing we stopped and we picked up a water bottle, right? Mm-hmm. And use that and sprayed ourselves with it. And, but it had the other, all the windows down and with the air blowing through with the spray. Oh, with the, a little bit. Oh, it was amazing. Yeah. But we had driven like, you know, I don't know how many hundreds of miles without doing that. You had and, to oh, suffer enough. Yeah. So hot. So yeah. hot. So long story short, yes. Uh, yeah. Did drive through there. Well, you should have picked like now because I'm heading there today and it's going to be like in the 80s like pristine weather right now to be in mm-hmm. Arizona. So if you guys hadn't thought about it, a last minute trip, you want to join me functional medicine summit and expo November 3rd, 4th and 5th. It starts tomorrow, the, the 3rd of November. If you're listening live today, uh, I just learned that I'll be speaking in the morning, uh, Friday morning at, they have an autism track, if you will, different tracks of things. And I didn't know I was doing that till yesterday. <laughs> so I'm ready though. Uh, I think 9 AM uh, Phoenix time. Scottsdale time uh, tomorrow. I'll be speaking on that. And then I'll be emceeing Saturday and Sunday. I'll be speaking as well. One of those days on various subjects. And I think I, I do want to address the fear of infection and inflammation and how to manage it. I always enjoy talking about that, especially to doctors and nurses to give them some guidance so they can uh, reduce their, uh, let's say prescription of drugs, which, you know, they, they're certainly capable of prescribing them and recommending them. And I know many of them don't want to do it, but also don't know how to, uh, you know, limit it or really limit it to the point where you really don't ever need it except in the most extreme of circumstances. So that's going to be cool uh, coming up also on Friday at the uh, restaurant called giving tree. Doug Fletcher has set us up for a a healing evening with Dr. Judy Mikovits, Dr. Brian artist, myself and others. And I hope that you'll, if it isn't already sold out, you'll come to join us at an organic meal and enjoy some uh, healing camaraderie. All right. Sounds like fun. Yeah, no, it'll be great. And uh, just so you know, we did, we're did we rescheduling apparently the Great Exodus Conference in Dallas from the November 11th, 12th, and I'll let you know when that reschedules. Uh, we have other things coming up in 2024. You can go to the upcoming events tab at robertscatbell.com and Super Don just activated or let's say reactivated something we had to make it easy for all y'all that are new to the Robert Scott Bell Show to sign up for the newsletter for free. And that is simply text, get out your phones as long as you're not driving right now. 
Get out your phones and text my initials RSB to the number 66866. 66866. And that'll get you uh, plugged into the newsletter and all the wonderful things that uh, you can access. And Patreon also has a free membership, which is, I don't understand it, but Superdon says it exists. And then if you want to upgrade, you can access a lot of things. We just added a video presentation from my talk at the Healing Strong 10 year anniversary. And it was a talk I'd never given. Uh, so there's new information there you you might want to plug into uh, at the uh, Patreon support. Uh, I'll be uploading that soon. But okay. as far as the Patreon thing goes, it's like, listen, we want you to join us on in one way or another. So uh, you, they do have that option now. And so what will happen is as a free member, you'll have access to things that are, are uh, posted and made available for free members. Mm-hmm. And then there will be things that will be uh, only for paid members. Only, yeah. but we can all we can all get along. Yes, we yes. can all be a par- part of the this, this same Patreon family mm-hmm. and uh, and hang out together. So if you uh, just click on the banner over at robertscottbell.com, which is still up and down, um, and that'll take yeah. you over there and you can get signed up. Yeah, the website is still being migrated, if you will, uh, to a new hosting site. And it's just taken, as all these things are, yeah. best intention. You think it's like automatic and it tends not to be. Uh, so that's ongoing. So thanks for your patience there. Now, I mentioned lecturing on reducing the reliance on drugs for infection and inflammation. Well, we're not doing so well as a country. I have been criticizing my own country for years when I learned, because I was raised on drugs, approved by the Fear and Death Administration and doctors. And, uh, well, check this article out from The Defender by Dr. Mercola. Prescription drug use in the U.S. hits a record high of $6.3 billion. What? U.S. girls born in 2019 are likely to spend 60% of their lives on prescription drugs, while boys may spend half of their lives on prescription drugs, starting from childhood. Now, that that's not a, a recipe for sustainable, healthy life, much less as we talk about with Jonathan Emore, the life of the, the country and the nation itself, with or without invasion from foreign interests or spreading ourselves so thin across the planet, we weaken ourselves. We're weakening ourselves, even if we weren't doing those things, simply by looking at every disease, ailment, illness, emotion, thought as evidence of some drug deficiency only met by something approved, a toxic poison approved by the Fear and Death Administration. If you go into the bullets on this one, I'll just hit it quickly here. Prescription drug use record highs with about 19 prescriptions filled for every American in the calendar year 2020, amounting to $6.3 billion. That's how they got the number. And it's getting worse. Now, think about this. I have not been on, in that calendar year, one prescription drug. Probably many of you in this audience have not either. Now, I'm not I'm not criticizing you. I'm not mad at you if you were on one or two or whatever. I'm just putting a perspective here. If I and others like me, including you, were not on any in 2020, what does that mean? 19 for every American. Could it mean 20 to 30 for every American? Because some are not taking these drugs. How is it that any of us survived childhood like my childhood where I was on an antibiotic almost every month. U.S. girls born in 2019 may spend 60% of their lives on prescriptions while boys may spend 48%. 
In modern medicine, drugs are designed to be taken for extended periods and often for the rest of a lifetime. Now, it used to not be that way. In the earlier years of the medical monopoly, it was like, well, we've got these antibiotics to use when you have an infection. Get on, get off. Now, that was already breeding resistance, so it wasn't great, but lifestyle drugs became the profit center. And then we add to that vaccinations with no liability are even more profitable for the pharmaceutical industry. For those born in 2019, women can expect to take prescription drugs for 47 and a half years, while men could expect to take them for about 37 years. And by the age of 40, most U.S. men take prescription drugs for women. However, this occurs by the age of 15. They are targeting women for early termination with these drugs. How can anybody, a nation, survive it? And there is no nation on planet Earth that is taking as many drugs as those of us in the United States. Which is not a strong, great place to be. Super Don, you can take the article down. I'm seeing it. I think it's full screen. But I just don't know how we think we can survive this. And there are those in Congress. There are those in the Senate. There are those in the presidency. There are those in the bureaucratic oligarchy. How many of them are on drugs? I've, I've posited that most of them are. Maybe even more so because they're all on, with rare exception, drug money. They are being lobbied more than any other industry, even more than the defense industry. The drug industry lobbies those in government. You've heard it proposed that they wear patches like NASCAR, you know, uh, uh, drivers and the cars to let you know who supports them, who has funded them. And then you begin to understand why in large part they vote for more big pharma interventions, for more support support of big pharma and its monopoly, or to continually completely absolve the pharmaceutical industry of any liability when their products injure or kill, particularly when they're called a vaccine. This is not a recipe for the health of America and its survivability moving forward. We've got a lot of challenges. I I don't dispute that. I mean, we can look at any one and say, this is the uh, existential challenges of existential uh, challenges there's a number of them. And, and, and I, I, I guess I can kind of see where some of you may feel defeated. You may feel like, well, it's just too big. It's just too much. There's no way we can overcome this. And I might be sympathetic to that view, yet I don't want to fall prey to believing it and living as if it is true. Because in that way, it strengthens a reality that we may not need to have happen despite how bad it might look. You can look at your own life and see that you indeed have made changes over the course of your lifetime from being on multiple medications, from relying on doctors and believing they actually knew what they were doing when it came to the care of your health to the point where now you look at that and go, I don't think I want to use those allopathic Western doctors unless I need a bone reset. And even then, you want to be careful with what they do once they get the thing reset. You want to get out of there as fast as possible and don't eat the food that they give you. But look at your own life as a testament to the possibility of transformation and change. If you did it, others have done it too, and others can do it too. So don't fall prey and succumb to the fear porn of it's toast, we're done, game over, just go back and You know, enjoy the little time you have left and don't fight for freedom. That's what they'd like you to believe. The bad guys, the globalists, et cetera. 
They want you to believe that they're so big and bad and strong that there's nothing you can do to change the course of your future or the future of your country, whatever country you're in. They'd love for you to give up. Now, the question is what to do. Well, that's fair game. And my answer could be different than your answer. But as we're called to serve on this planet by God, if you're open to that, we're all called to serve in unique ways, ways that befit our talents, our inclinations and our, well, the things that make our hearts sing. You know, I think that's a great litmus. What is it? But when you do, you'd like, I could do that forever and never get tired of it. Something along those lines seems to me to indicate a contract you may have signed with God before you got here. It's like, why does that bring you joy? Of course, if it's not bringing denigration and harm and, and to others, that's what, you know, I think I have to say it apparently now because I think I'm telling you, you can do whatever you want, no matter what, no consequences. That's not the point at all. It's the opposite. When you're engaged in your mission, your purpose, your spirit, all of that comes into alignment. It is not anything but uplifting to yourself and those around you, unless those are those others around you are operating uh, under fear, jealousy, you know, the five passions of the mind, and they, they don't want to see you happy because they're miserable. There, sometimes you have to make a distance between yourself and those people who would denigrate you, who would try to drag you down into their state of consciousness because you're reflecting poorly on them, even though your light is so bright and powerful and, and, and uplifting. To them, it just shines on their own faults that they don't want to address for whatever reason, those wounds that are hurt, hurt them even though you're not intending to hurt them just by being who you are, the light of the world that you are as well, that you come to be. So I would urge you to continue to practice the presence of God in your life, however you perceive that to be, to overwhelm the fear, the negativity, the anger, the defeatist view of the world. It's all too big. It's all too bad. It's all too ugly. Look, it's easy to look at all the bad stuff and go, it's too much. But I think it is within our what do we call it? Capacity, capability within our freedom to choose a path forward that doesn't feed that fear and foment all of that, which we see on this planet Ar arisen because we've been, we've been deceived into hating one another, despising one another, fearing one another, wanting to do harm to one another. That's not everybody. But if you watch the news, you think it is everybody just about. So I hope you enjoy the Robert Scott Bell Show with, where we give you a little bit of a respite from all of that, even though occasionally we do have to talk about it. We do. So 6.36 billion drugs, 6.3 billion drugs, prescriptions. That doesn't even count over the counters. We got to do better. You guys in this audience are doing better and helping others to do better. God bless you. I love you for that. I appreciate you so much for that. All right, let's talk briefly about presidential politics here. We do have questions today, comments of the day. We got a homeopathic hit of the day coming up as well. And I'll get Super Don into the mix here as well, because I always like getting his perspective on some of the political things that are going on as well. Headline from Politico is, spoiler alert, poll has RFK Jr. grabbing 22% against Biden and Trump. Now, again, the, the argument is, oh, he's going to take more from Trump, or, oh, he's going to take more from Biden. It's like, oh, man. How about if you do vote, you vote your conscience and let the chips fall where they may. I know that that could be argued. You could argue against that because you say, well, we, I did that and this is what happened. It wasn't good. But if we need to descend further before we come to our senses, then it takes what it takes. 
and I ask you to look in the mirror and say, what did it take for you to make the change to be who you are today? Did it take a lot of difficulty, misery, pain, suffering? Does it mean that we have to always have that? No, I think we can learn from the suffering of others as well. I think that that's a little bit more of a mature ability to put two and two together in another person's life and go, you know what, if I did that, did I get the same outcome? I don't think I'll do that. But there are some times, come on, admit it. I'll admit it too, where I'm like, no, I think I can do it better. And you go down that same road and in the same place, you're like, I should have paid attention, but apparently I needed that experience in order to break that cycle. And this brings up a very controversial talking point that I did in the bonus round, if you missed it yesterday. And I posited the concept of reincarnation as one possible and plausible explanation as to why we keep doing the same thing over and over. The people who were the slave holders become the slaves the next time through to learn a lesson that they didn't learn any other way. And I'm not saying it to convince you of, of uh, my belief system in regards to that, just to posit another consideration as we look broader and deeper into our life and existence itself to make sense of things that seemingly make no sense. Super Don, this comment of the day came in. Go ahead and full screen it. This is from uh, Diana. And uh, this was in the bonus round. I don't know how this happened, but Super Don and I were just talking about it. It was pretty fascinating. And I was obviously concerned about stepping on anybody's toes because that's never my intent to do so when I talk about controversial subjects. But hey, we, we're, we're all grownups here, right? We can talk about this stuff. She says, hey, Robert, I want to thank you for discussing past lives on Wednesday's show. To me, it's the only thing that makes sense to me as to the reason for all of the suffering the Palestinians have gone through over the years. I do believe in karma and sowing what we reap. It seems like they must have been involved in attempted genocide in some past times in history. Nothing else makes sense. Sincerely, Diana. Now, this is not Diana or me condemning Palestinians. It's like, oh, you're getting what you deserve because that's an immature understanding uh, of a talking point or discussion point about this. I mean, what is, is it possible that some of the, the, the most heinous Nazis died, came back as Israelis to learn a lesson they didn't learn. And now some of them, as we pointed out, like Netanyahu selling the people out to Pfizer. Demon spawn of IG Farben, the, you know, Nazi Germany. So, I mean, you, you see this circle cycle and we, we never tend to learn or we, we keep coming back till, till we figure it out. Just, I'm just saying now, some people's perceptions are different. You're here once you go and then you're either in hell or in heaven or someplace in between, or maybe you can have experiences there too. I'm not here to convince you one way or the other. I'm just here to throw out some ideas of discussion and go, hmm, ponder. There's a lot more on heaven and earth, <laughs> in heaven and earth, wherever it is. So uh, if you don't mind, we'll talk about it. And if you disagree, it's okay. We, we've learned, and I hope that I've shown you that it's possible to disagree and still like one another, even love one another on various subjects and topics. So thank you, Diana, for those kind words. I expected a bit of hate mail for that. I don't know why. Just my sensitivity, Super Don, about these things. It's like, don't, don't talk about that. But then again, we do. I do. And you're still hanging out with me. It was it was an interesting topic. Yeah. And then and then yesterday, uh, even, even one of our listeners jumped in, who's uh, Jim the vegan. Yes. Uh, and and posited the the idea yeah. <clears throat> that um, that is what happens to meat eaters. Yeah, they become what? Uh, they become animals, they I guess. Yeah. 
Yeah, if you're a meat yeah. eater, then then you're reincarnated as a pig or a I cow might not or share chicken. Jim's belief system, but I welcome you to talk about it and and throw it out there. I'm okay with that. That's fun yeah. to talk about and see. Hey, well, people believe some stuff. Some people will think, well, it's the it's like thing how ever. do you know? I mean, yeah. I, look, I get it. And, you know, like I, take Diane's comment for yeah example, mm-hmm. uh, for instance, uh, the the concept of reincarnation. Mm-hmm. Help something make sense for her. Sure. Yeah, exactly. Cool. And, you know, for me, it's just I think all belief systems serve that purpose. That people need something that makes things make sense. Because even even the atheists out there, right? You know, they're like, I don't believe in anything. Well, no, actually, you do believe in something, you know, because even <laughs> you, it's just, I think it's just a human need that we, things need sure. to make sense. If you go back into time and you, and you look at the ancient civilizations mm-hmm. and they had a need, yeah, there was a God of the sun and a God of the ocean and a God There's of the, always been that, in, been. in order for yeah. things to make sense, you know, mm-hmm. you look at the, the pictures and the stuff they wrote on the cave walls and stuff as to what it is they thought was going on and stuff. Why? Because yeah. humans have that need. Because it's it's hard to just uh, operate in a vacuum, even mm-hmm. though it is kind of fun sometimes. <laughs> it's great to unplug. But, yes. you know, where it's just, oh, I don't care what anything matter, why, how right. anything works. And you're like, no, that's just yeah. human nature. So now, you know, people obviously, and don't be offended by what I just said, because I'm not just saying that you're just making stuff up. You know, I'm not, I'm sure. not a, although some people would refer to it that way. But Well, Super D, you, you mentioned the, the idea of, making sense out of the world, right? Isn't that right. what many of us try to do in our lifetime? And and very often it, it's it's either answered or we take solace in our religious beliefs about it. And and absolutely. Be, and I, I I've told you a hundred times, I mm-hmm. envy people like that. Mm-hmm. Because they're like the happiest people in the friggin' world. I mean, right. it's just like, oh, I don't care about. I'm not worried about everything because I got it all figured out and everything's cool. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm just like, how do you do that? I, I yeah. just I still have not figured that one out. Yeah. I know what's going to happen. Hey, right. No problem. All's good. You know, and then me, you know, now what's, what's the, uh, what's the alternative to that? Right. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. What am I going to do? You know? Yeah. I don't want to live in that state all the time or ever if I can't avoid it. Yeah. Now I say this super D and this is where we get into tolerance, love, respect, all of that. I mean, we can all think about each other's beliefs. So that's wacky. That's weird. And it's like, okay, that's fine. Uh, but if you're happy where you are in your beliefs, then why would I try to do anything but support you in those beliefs? hundred percent. Yeah. And, you know, but it's interesting. There are those on this planet and I've been the subject of those people who just tried to beat me up to get me to believe what they believe. Oh yeah. I was yeah. one of those people. Well, oh, to, to believe what they believe. Yeah. Oh, okay. And then there's yeah. the other ones that don't really care. They just want to prove you wrong. Sure. There's that too. And I'm like, yeah. that seems to be a bit of a miserable existence. They're um, just constantly, they're, they're locked and loaded and they practice, mm-hmm. you know, how to prove people wrong about particular subject. And religion's one of those big ones where a lot of people mm-hmm. are like that. I, I like to be of the uh, perspective, if you will, that I, I want to lead a life of example for others that, you know, it's like, Hey, He's a good guy. I wonder what he believes and what he does. And, and in that way, you're like, hey, we can enter discussions. It isn't because I'm going on a quota to convert people to whatever, right? It's like multi-level marketing religion. Now, that would be something, right? But the idea is, of course, to share our beliefs because, well, 
they they, they bring joy to us. And I yeah. appreciate people, people like to talk love, about what they believe. Yeah, I, I appreciate yeah. people that believe with all their heart and things and that can engage in spirited discussions about them in I would say in a loving manner, but there are those that are so insecure in their beliefs that their only way to strengthen their beliefs is to get more people to believe what they believe. And yeah. that's not rooted in 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 a knowingness. It's rooted in insecurity, I think. Or yeah, 100%. May, maybe a quota for their, you know, entry into heaven. So yep. anyway, I don't know how we get into these discussions. That's a, no, it's okay. Yeah. See, I mean, the, the chat room over on Rumble was was completely dead. Yeah. And up then until 10 that. minutes ago. Yeah. Suddenly so, yeah. So, Jim, Jim, uh, Cetro Spotlight mm -hmm. uh, jumped in. He said, the real question is why, mm -hmm. if reincarnation is true, mm. why, why, uh, why are our memory of past lives erased? Yeah. And I, and I have a, a perspective on that that might be different for somebody else. But if let's just say you've lived not one, two or three lifetimes in different bodies. What if you've lived a million? Can you imagine in the human brain that you have right now having memories? I mean, think about all the memories you and I, or I have in this one lifetime to come in burdened with a million previous ones. I don't think it would work all that well. <laughs> You know, you talk about schizophrenia, multiple personality disorders. Now, that doesn't mean that we aren't perhaps given glimpses of a pre-existence. Now, I realize some people interpret that as, well, I lived in God's kingdom and I came here and I had experiences there. So you can interpret it differently than me or somebody else that says, no, there were actually lifetimes incarnated into different bodies. But think about just conceptually, if you had a million different lifetimes, and you remembered all of them coming into this lifetime. How would that impact your ability to function in this lifetime? I, it's just, I'm just asking the question. Maybe that's something to consider. And I think, the, I the, aren't there some people that believe that when you experience deja vu, that 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 is tied to something that you have experienced before, but maybe not in this particular lifetime sure, or, or, or in this dimension, right? Or jump in the time track, interestingly right, right. enough. Realizing that the, the ever-present now exists and the past and the, the, the future are kind of fictitious in that sense that they all exist simultaneously. So, Dude, And then it, his next his next comment, he, he gets all rush on us. Yeah, who gets? Oh. If you choose not to decide, you still have made a choice. Right. And who could argue with that? Yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't. That's I wouldn't. true. Anyway, thank you for, for those comments. Yeah, uh, Chris uh, dropped some, some interesting stuff in there too, didn't he? Yeah, I see that. I get the sense karma, whether for better or worse, isn't to punish or reward, but to teach God is found in stillness, the source of all feeling, thought. Once the lesson is learned and desire fulfilled, the karma dissolves. Such is grace, apparently. Uh, a concept, uh, let's see, uh, where is it? Where is it? It was too uh, long. A concept known to many faiths. Great. Grace, right. yes. Yeah. So if you guys dig this discussion, I don't mind it. I love it too, but... Yeah. I, I also have to throw in, I, and I told you so occasionally, not on this particular subject, but there is one, and Super Don found it. I love it. Do you have the audio for that to play? Um, I have something better. Yeah, well, I don't want to sound like a d but I told you so. <laughs> I told you so. Oh, I told you so. You did get visual on that. I'm, I'm not going to say I told you so, but I told you so. What am I telling you so about? Selenium, our favorite, one of our favorite minerals, in fact, over the years, uh, you know, going back to our memories of our good buddy, Chris Barr, not a doc and others. Selenium, 
found to reduce mixtures of environmental pollutants, harmful effects on health. This is a Medical Express article that Super Don found, and it's so right on. And it goes into the role of uh, toxic pollutants, including heavy metals and other pollution-type residues, to impact negatively various functions of the body, impacting particularly the liver, whose primary role is to help to bind and transform and metabolize and excrete, send these things on out either through the kidneys or the colon or, you know, even other excretory pathways. When we talk about the skin and even respiration, the lungs can be a way out. But we've got so many toxicological burdens coming in. It's not just one thing. It's many things. It's all, it's all, all of everything. And they went in through this paper, and this was basically recently published in the journal Science of the Total Environment in October of this year. This was just published, this article on the 31st on Halloween. And they wanted to figure out how to determine, you know, how these compounds interact with each other. They said, we studied the controlled exposure of mice to this mixture and analyzed how it affects the proteins in the liver. Ever heard of elevated enzyme levels, uh, proteins? These things are aberrant in the liver. Uh, And they said, that is how their liver proteostasis changes when ingesting these mixtures of contaminants just for two weeks, according to the professor here that uh, did the study. Their conclusion, negative, the cocktail effect creates synergy between these compounds doing increased damage to health and increasing when the compounds uh, act together. Now, this is the whole idea of one plus one equals three or one plus one equals 300 or 3000. We used to talk about the LD50, the LD lethal dose 50 and how Dr. Batar would talk about it, our dearly departed friend, Dr. Batar, the LD50 you know, uh, of, of lead, the LD50 of mercury, combine the two and boom, it's like it explodes exponentially accelerates the the lethality by having them in combination. As I talked about, it isn't just one pesticide. It's thousands and thousands of these synthetic compounds every day, even yes, at minute amounts, adding up to something major league, the synergistic addition, which is not a synergy that would normally think is a positive thing. And the researchers stress that although these pollutants generated oxidation in the cells separately too, again, as individual components, but when they acted together, we found that the oxidation was so intense that all the antioxidant defense responses of the body were activated continuously without deactivating them, which ends up doing damage and causing many proteins to stop working. What do we talk about? Ongoing chronic immune response that never gets a break into autoimmunity, into immune collapse or deficiency, and then cancer unremittent cancer, neurological degradation. When I say I told you so, this is the stuff I've been talking about since I opened up the microphone in 1999. And by the way, as we head into the calendar year 2024, that'll be our 25th year, my 25th year in broadcast healing. And I'm still standing, considering I was chronically ill for the first 24 years of my life and only began to work at undoing that toxicological burden we're talking about in this article here. At the age of 24, and I'm able to do things, again, at 57, I couldn't do in my 20s. Tells you the capacity of the human body created, I believe, of God, by God. When we honor it, when we give it what it needs and remove from it that which it doesn't, and of course, limit the exposure to that which it doesn't need. I know we can't completely eliminate it. I'm not a dunderhead on the subject. When I say go organic, the response, well, it's not clean. Why do you? That's just an excuse to not want to do anything. Why you want to make that excuse? Perhaps there's laziness involved. Perhaps there's economic considerations involved. Any number of things that we call excuses, which I'm not saying to berate you. 
It's not a judgment. It's just a, Hey, at any point in time, go, you know, I could choose to eat that stuff, which I know contains a lot of the stuff that's not good for me, or I could choose not to, but to choose not to means I'll be a little bit hungry. I won't be able to have as much fun with my friends who are eating the same stuff. But again, categorizing what all of this is in this scientific perspective, much less how it manifests as symptoms in your body. If it does, again, it did for me, which is why I learned what I learned early on and why I'm so passionate about sharing this information with you. Not to beat you over the head with it, not to berate you with it. Even though I can be annoying, I'll admit it because I care too much to inspire you to do better because you deserve it. But that deserving is not a passive thing. The deserving it is an engagement. It's an activity. It's a choice that you're making. It's constantly making choices. So selenium as a hope. That's where it concludes. Fascinating. We come back to selenium. In this article, the study provides hope as selenium could be a way to reduce the damage caused by exposure to these pollutants. A third group of mice were given doses of selenium and what happened? Proteomic analyses showed relief from the molecular damage done by the pollutants. And, you know, they say, well, but selenium is an oxidant. Yeah. If you take it to dangerous high levels, which we now don't recommend, but even the levels they think are too high are not too high when you have the right form of selenium. In low doses, as we say, micrograms for the most part activates responses in a controlled manner, predisposing the body to better defense. Selenium. The humble trace element. You can get the 100% whole food selenium from my friend Jonathan at choosetobehealthy.com. And you can get a little discount at the end when you use the code RSB5 to check out at the end. And I'll add to it, there are many other things that can act as selenium, similar to selenium, like Folium PX. The Folium products, we had Bob Brian yesterday talking about extraordinary journeys of health and healing and, and, and maintaining life long after it was condemned to be over by doctors. So if you need to break through that ceiling in your healing. If you hit the wall and you're not getting through it, please consider Folium products. Foliumpx.com. Get the Folium Original, the Folium Immuno, and the Folium Relax and cycle through them as my mom has done and is doing and was able to get back on the dance floor at the age 89. And there's so many other good stories. And Bobri will be with me, as, as many of you know, at the uh, Arizona event and other events coming up uh, this weekend in Phoenix, Scottsdale. So I hope to see you there and we'll see Bobbery there. And remember the code RSB10 to get a discount when you go after the good things to help you, help you recover. All right. We're doing great on subjects, stories, comments, questions. We do have a question of the day here. Super Don, what else is going on in the chat room since I live ended up by talking past lives, <clears throat> future lives? Uh, let's see here. Which, uh, Scott, no, who? Chris uh, keeps dropping lots of lots of cool information. There's a lot of links and stuff there. Mm -hmm. um, Jim says it was selenium that was missing in his diet. Mm -hmm. um, Is that it was on right, Rumble? It was right on Rumble. He says yeah. it was right before you, uh, we got booted off of YouTube. Mm -hmm. And he says he can't thank you enough for... Bringing, the bringing that information the to, yeah. Yeah, and wrote about it. And thanks to Chris Barr. God bless Chris Barr and his wife, uh, not a nurse, Angie. And we miss them. We miss so many friends we've lost over the way, all, along the way. And, and as, you know, we said about the, the idea of life itself, 
there is a continuity, I believe, as soul, as a spiritual being. And we've talked about this. We're spiritual beings having human experiences. And uh, I, my belief says, I don't have a soul. You don't have a soul. And you're like, oh, my gosh, Robert, that's mean. That's horrible. That's not what I'm saying. Listen to what I'm saying. You are soul. I am soul. I have a body. And we often talk about possessing that which we are when we say, I have my soul, my soul, da, 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 da. And I don't possess myself per se in that way. It is who I am. It is who you are. Now, it's for each of us to identify that should we wish to. But what does it mean once you do? If you walk in the reality that you are a spiritual being having human experiences, do you not have a lot less to fear? What is the ultimate fear? Of course, death, dying. And if you don't have, a, a, a let's say, a comfort and knowledge that you exist beyond the body, yeah, that could be the scariest thing to ever consider. I think my concern, of course, is for what we leave behind, those that are left behind. As we know, when we lose a loved one, we're still here. They're not here in the same way. We take faith and solace, maybe if you have a belief that they continue on and others say, well, there's no proof of it. And Super Don, you're quick to say that because it's true. What is the proof? How do you prove it? There's no double blind peer review. Doesn't It doesn't right? mean that, there, you know, that there's anything wrong if you believe it. No, I'm not saying that I don't believe it. I no, just I'm can't. not dissing on you either. I, I know you you bring that up, and it's it's also fun to consider all of these things. I'm just, I'm just thoroughly confused. Sure, and um, and if <laughs> there are there are atheists in the audience, perhaps, and they tend to be, and I'm not trying to pigeonhole all of them as a group because there could be different kinds of atheists. I don't know what that means, but that they would, you know, there are some that like to denigrate your belief in God. Mm -hmm. That those are kind of miserable people in that way. As I said, the same thing is I would say of someone who is a believer who tries to denigrate somebody else's beliefs because they're not the same as theirs. I don't like that in either direction, but I love to celebrate all the var various ways we can live life as long as we're not harming others in the process. I think that's pretty basic. Yep. And I think it's a pretty adult, mature thing to do. I hope that more people would do that. All right. We still got questions, comments. It'll be a shorter uh, bonus round today because I've got a pack up the rest of the stuff, get ready for the flight to Arizona and uh, see Dr. Jack Wilson tonight at his office. He's hosting a little reception this evening as we warm up to the event uh, with the Warners. And I think there still may be tickets available to come to the event. Okay. What should we do now? So how about a question of the day? All right, let's do it. All right. This question of the day is coming from Lee. Hello. While I typically get over colds and flus, etc. Fairly easily. Afterwards, I usually end up with a severe sinus infection requiring antibiotics, which I would like to avoid. I use a nasal rinse, uh, Neomed, is it? Regularly. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that seems to help sometimes, but I'm wondering, is there an antiseptic type additive that I could add to the nasal rinse solution instead of having to resort to antibiotics? Maybe not bleach. <laughs> but, but I've heard crystal Drano. Crystal yeah. Drano works really no, good. Don't do yeah. it. No. But a drop of something I could add to that would be safe and kill whatever bacteria that I would otherwise need to use antibiotics for. I would love any advice you might have. The only additive I've found online is hydrogen peroxide, but haven't found reliable dose info or if there may be a better alternative. Thanks for any advice lately. We don't do advice here. I'm just saying I give you information we do education, but I'm not advising you. It's not my role, but I love this question because it certainly <clears throat> goes into, you know, one of the wheelhouses here on the Robert Scabell show that I had to discover as well in my journey back to health. 
with sinus issues, the most potent and simple and easiest thing you can spray into your sinus cavity to cleanse it is the bioactive silver hydrosol. Now I have, well, let's see, what do I have? I got a throat spray. Where's my name? I think I gave away all the sinus sprays of the AMA. Do you have one to show everybody? I could, I could run into my storage room. No, I've if, got, actually, I've one? got one of the Argentan ones. Yeah, that's cool. Or no, 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 no. This is that's the sovereign? regular one. That's the regular okay. one. Yeah. So that's a sovereign silver nasal spray, and yep. it's available as Argentan 23 as well. And that can be utilized very rapidly to cleanse and clear the sinus cavity in such circumstances that, uh, Lee, you bring up. Easiest thing. Now, if you do have an active bacterial infection in the sinus cavity, when you spray this stuff up there, the ions of silver are so rapid in their interaction with bacterial species, penetrating biofilms and neutralizing and weakening the outer membrane that protects the integrity of the bacterial cells that it completely disrupts it, causes it to rupture. And what comes pouring out of those bacterial cells or the colonies is primarily potassium. And that potassium will result in a stinging sensation on the sinus cavity, a burning, stinging sensation. Now, that intense stinging sensation, you will feel it, but it's not dangerous, it's not harmful, and it doesn't last a long time. But it's indicative of the instant intervention, and it's not harming your surrounding healthy mammalian cells or tissue, and there's no negative impact on what we call the balance or the biodiversity of a microbiome there in the sinus cavity or elsewhere. Now, yes, could you use a drop of hydrogen peroxide diluted down to like, I don't know what they say, 3%, depending. People have utilized the uh, <clears throat> hypochlorous acid. If you have one of the echo water machines that produce both uh, alkaline and acid water, right? The alkalinity is not the magic. It's the hydrogen that does the thing. But it's also, again, the acid water has hypochlorous acid that can also be used to cleanse an area Wonderful. Which is similar to bleach. Yeah. yeah so, you know, when, kind of thing, but not right, the same yeah, danger yeah, in that yeah. way, a way you can do it. Uh, also, if you have ongoing sinus issues, my wife reminds me, please sleep on a silver right pillow. The unfortunate thing is it seems to be out of stock. I don't know what's taking so long, but I hope that they can get more because that thing, I love sleeping on my silver right pillow and I take it with me. Yes. It's somewhat crunched down and deflated, but it makes it easier for me to pack in my bag. So I'm happy and I can just, Roll it up for me, and it's great. So that's another thing. Hydrogen peroxide, again, we mentioned that. Some people are using iodine, liquid uh, dilutions of iodine. And some people use a saline rinse. Now, these have various degrees of anti-infection activity, but nothing as potent and as direct as silver in its bioactive form, the ion. So hopefully that helps, Lee, and you, can, you don't have to dilute it. It's ready to go right out of the bottle. So now she said she was using the Neil Med. That's a sinus rinse that you can buy at the store. Okay. Um, What's in it? You know, is it just I don't like know. a I think it's is supposed it to be sodium chloride. It's supposed to be it's a it's a saline solution of some sort. Yeah, saline, right. But I don't know if it's got anything else in it or not. Yeah. Other than that. Probably just saline. And that's yep. good, but if it's not good enough, that Oh yeah, here we go. Done. It's USP grade, purity mm -hmm. level ninety nine percent or higher, sodium chloride. Mm -hmm. And it, it's also got sodium bicarbonate in it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So anyway. So if it's not enough, which you say it isn't, I agree. Use the silver. Don't use it at the same time as the salt because it'll neutralize a lot of the silver. But other than that, it can be complementary. Use it at separate times. So that The silver is going to be more efficient at dealing, dealing with what you're talking about. Now, I'll also mention that when you overcome colds and flus and you have secondary issues, that is usually due to liver congestion something your doctor is loath to ever diagnose or even acknowledge exists. 
And there we go into the homeopathic hits of the various uh, remedies we've done and complexes for the liver, as well as other herbs and, and minerals, like we mentioned, selenium, to help the liver detoxify. Because you have to detoxify from the successful immune intervention, the battle. You took it on, you won. But now you've got debris circulating in the system. Maybe trying to come out through your sinus cavity. It's congested. Trying to cough it up from your lungs. Now you have infection growing in the lungs. A pneumonia. Bacterial pneumonia. Secondary. After you successfully overcame the cold or flu. It's because you're not doing enough to support your liver. And if you're not willing to do a coffee enema, well, do more. All right. So let's do the homeopathic hit of the day. All of the homeopathic hits every day, right here on the Robert Scott Bell Show. Well, it's an intense one today, folks. Veratrum album. And no, this isn't uh, by the band called Yes that Kevin doesn't like. <laughs> Veratrum album is a fascinating remedy. It's an intense remedy, and I'll explain why. You may have heard me talk about Arsenicum album, interestingly enough, and there might be some similarity there. But this homeopathic hit of the day, it's a brief introduction to Veratrum album, the remedy that's often considered for severe diarrhea and collapse. So, wow, this is an intense one. And it's not going to be comprehensive. None of these can be. But if you open the Materia Medica, you can go further. Now, the origin of Veratrum album is it's derived from the white hellbore or hellebore, depending on how you pronounce it. There it is. Super Don has made an AI image of this plant. And it looks kind of friendly and benign, but you would not want to ingest it in its mother state. It's a brutally toxic plant. How do I know? Well, look at the characteristics of it as a homeopathic remedy, what it can overcome. Key characteristics hitting things like severe diarrhea, vomiting, and collapse. We're talking acute, explosive kind of reaction, violent reaction, physically, mentally. Individuals indicating Veratrum album may experience restlessness, despair. And a sense of being overwhelmed. I mean, my gosh, you're going through those physical conditions. It's not surprising that you'll have these mental constructs playing themselves out. Once again, primary uses of Veratrum album, severe diarrhea and vomiting. Effective for dealing with severe diarrhea and vomiting, especially when it leads to dehydration and weakness. Again, this is not a chronic low-level issue. This is like, oh my gosh, this is intense, right? Think of this, Veratrum album, it's intense. Collapse. Used for states of collapse, particularly when the individual feels cold, sweaty, along with a rapid heartbeat, which is often accompanying something like an acute poisoning, interestingly enough. When we talk about dosage and potencies, here's a case where I'm like, if you need Veratrum album, take whatever you got. Don't worry about whatever you got. Take it if it's indicated. It can be life-saving. Suitable for acute conditions, we typically go lower potencies more frequently or higher potencies less frequently. But, see, you know, if you're dealing with something severe, you need a doctor or whatever, please consult a qualified homeopath or medical doctor that knows what they're doing in such circumstances. In terms of complementary remedies, arsenicum album, interestingly enough, not surprisingly, often used after from album for lingering symptoms of diarrhea or vomiting. Arsenicum can often be used for, again, poisoning situations. Carbo vegetalis or vegetabilis complements Veratrum album in treating states of collapse, especially when there is a need for revival. And we've talked about that. It's basically charcoal, homeopathic charcoal. And then I add into the mix as well, Bryonia alba. And I talk about it as a critical adjunct in cases where the liver is overburdened due to toxicity. And it's also helpful for an accompanying dry cough, which you can see 
is also one of the sub-symptoms associated with Veratrum album when you open the Materia Medica. That's why these could be complementary. Now, this is not an exhaustive list. It's a quick hit, but we got to do them to get you started on your road to recovery and utilizing the second most largely used system of medicine on planet Earth, according to the WHO. This was done years ago. Please avoid self-subscribing, uh, prescribing, I'm sorry, for chronic or severe conditions. And if symptoms worsen or persist, please consult uh, your healthcare provider of choice, homeopathic, preferably if you can. So in conclusion, Veratrum album, versatile homeopathic remedy, as most of them are, particularly effective for severe diarrhea, intense vomiting, states of collapse. And please stay tuned to the Robert Scott Bell Show for more enlightening dives in the world of homeopathy with our homeopathic hits. And remember, this is edu educational. It's informational. It's not designed to replace your doctor if you want one or have one. And uh, appreciate so much you you uh, riding along with us on those homeopathic hits. And Super Don has made the PDF of each day's homeopathic hit available to you for free. And I think he's been adding some imagery that you saw of, in this case, the plant. It's a plant-based remedy. So thanks y'all for being here. Thank you to Jonathan Emord. Please support emord4va.com. And we'll have a brief bonus round as I got to get ready to head on out to Arizona for a great weekend of healing with all y'all that are coming to join us there. Thank you for being here. The power to heal is yours. Bonus round happening now. <clears throat> brief, but yep. You know what my wife said yesterday mm. when we started talking about the uh, the reincarnation stuff in the bonus round? Yeah. She's like, how come Super Don doesn't know that you've talked about that before and mentioned it before on the show? And I'm like, Super D is off doing things in the show that you don't even know. And uh, <laughs> if you tuned into every word I said, you wouldn't get anything done. That's and, why you get me sometimes. Where it's just well, like, yeah, it's true. When I call on you, I'm like, oh, he was doing something else. So I don't mean to do it as a gotcha unless it's a fun thing to do. Oh, I like, know. But the point of our history together is, you know, occasionally I'll bring something up and like, and you'll say, I don't remember you ever talking about that. It's because you do so much behind the scenes. So I'm, I'm backing you up, my brother. Well, and it's, it's yeah. something we don't talk about very often. So yeah, I'm sure, you know, you, you, you mentioned it before, but it's probably been a while. Sure. And it's a once in a while thing. And you could yeah. be at that moment or those moments doing these other things that you do. So uh, actually, but, I just don't listen to the show. <laughs> that's I true, just, too. Yeah. Of course. Why? Why would you? You'd be annoyed. So uh, anyway, for that <clears> purposes. <throat> but it, it's fun to when occasionally I'll bring something up and you'll like, oh, whoa, wait a minute. Right. And something triggers for you. And it always ends up being a great discussion when that happens. So. You're an interesting dude. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a Chinese proverb. May you live in interesting times. May you be connected right. to an interesting dude in That's your lifetime. Right. right? Oh, my gosh. Yes. Life is interesting, isn't it? Uh, oh, anything more going on Rumble? How's our Rumble uh, crowd doing? Rumble. I don't get to see that. You have to analyze that for me. I only see, see. our website and a little bit from the social media through a restream. Marge says, sorry, I could not make it. I had to see the baby mm. to see if she was healthy apparently the baby i think her daughter think has another her baby granddaughter yeah mm -hmm. has a heart murmur apparently oh boy that sucks again homeopathy there please. are things that could be done for that fortunately but yeah uh, uh, setros or jim calls you the homeopathic hitman <laughs> I don't know if I like that or not. Maybe it sounds, it's a good alliteration, though. Homeopathic hit, homeopathic cool. hitman. Kind of cool. Yeah. You know, the thing is, a homeopathic hitman is not going to be very deadly, right? 
Um, no. And that's a good thing. Yeah, that's true. I, I like to bring life, not death. That's, that's, that's I like to be more true. the bringer Probably of life. One of the safest hitmen around. <laughs> if you got to right. have a hitman, make sure it's homeopathic. He's homeopathic. Never fails. Yeah, the dogs right at this time get very active as someone shows up at your doorstep. And you never know who it is, do you? I don't think anybody's here. You know, the thing is, is when it's silent in the house, yeah, they hear everything that's going on. So if somebody like closes their car door across the street or something like that, they freak out and think that somebody's here. So Mm -hmm. it's just the joy of having dogs. (laughs) Yeah. (sighs) All right. So anyway, all right. So if we look uh, ahead here, Mm -hmm. um, so you've got the event this weekend. Yes. So you'll be live tomorrow from Arizona, correct? Yeah, probably from either the hotel room or maybe out in the hallway somewhere. I don't know where they got me hooked up. Uh, we'll be live tomorrow from the event, thanks to the Warners. And then <clears throat> hopefully I can get some, I will, I'll, I'll record with somebody for Sunday conversations and we'll see what else we can learn and, and, and have happen there. Uh, I'm really, I acknowledge I suck at doing the lives like, like I do an Instagram live from the concerts, right? Mm-hmm. I did some Instagram lives from Kansas. I did it from Yes. My kids, I insist. I told my daughter, I said, you better do an Instagram live from uh, Sticks because I'm not getting to see them this weekend with you guys. Uh, so, uh, but I, I'm really bad about just holding up the thing. Let's do an Instagram live. Or, you know, I'm just not good at that. I acknowledge it. I know people like it. But it's not awesome. that you're not good at it. You're just not good at remembering to do it. Right. And even if I remember to do it, I'm like, eh. Uh, eh. Like an get old over Jewish it. Man. Eh. I don't want to do you're, it. You're 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 an influencer. Just just deal with it. It's true. An influencer without influence. Yes. <laughs> Whatever. You have plenty. <laughs> so um, all right. So now tomorrow, mm-hmm. um, this just came up yesterday, but I've got to tomorrow right after the show. I've got to book out of here. Yeah. Cause I got to go get measured for my suit for the wedding coming up. Really? Yeah. Have you been like uh like? Doing what wrestlers do, sweating off the weight. What are you doing to, you know, fit? Dude, stuff? I am who I am. Take it or leave it. I'm not going to do that crap. Are you? <laughs> just wondered. Just, oh, my God. I need to lose some weight because my ex-wife will be there. You know, it's like, I don't care. I just, it's me. I, dude, I, I want you to be putting up pictures like I'm putting up from the gym. Yeah, right? well. With, uh, you know, the. Because you got biceps of steel too; they're just hidden. I do not, dude. That's the thing. When I w- when I was working out, I never got big. It was not like I was like big. Yeah, I, I got. I was. I've never I, had the genetics for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just I lost all my body fat, and mm-hmm. so what I did have, it looked pretty good. Yeah. So you know that's what it was. But I never, I never, never really. I I never got big. I just didn't have the genetics for it, and I didn't have the. Mm-hmm. I didn't have the, uh, <laughs> Lori has I could have cheated, but I, I, you know, I just wasn't going to go there. So are you going to, yes, very soon I'm losing the ponytail. In fact, I'm probably going to go get my, I'll probably go get my haircut here probably in the next few days. Okay. Cause I want to, I want to uh, kind of let it grow out for a li- yeah. just a bit and get used to it before, before the wedding right. happens. So that will be, uh, happening very soon. So tomorrow at the end of the show, you got to run out. I mean, can I do a bonus round without you if I got somebody there to talk to and then end the show? I can do that. Yeah, you can. You can. You can just click the button. Okay, and it'll, it won't ruin anything. That's what I'm no. going to make sure. Yeah, I just stopped the. How end, far end away the stream. is the, the, the place they got to check? Well, you, out for you know, in this town, I can get anywhere in in you know, 
uh, 20 minutes max, probably. Okay. So it's not that far, but I got to be there at two 30. So. Gotcha. Okay. Well, all right. Just keep that in mind for tomorrow. Um, and don't we have some other thing going on tomorrow? Some other call like for the, Oh, I the think summit yeah, well, or we, something? we've got a, yeah, a call for the summit. What time did we say it was going to be? I don't uh, have it on the calendar. Um, hold on. Stand by today. <clears throat> so 11 a.m. Mountain. So 10 a.m. Your time. It looks like tomorrow morning. Okay. All right. Yeah. So I got to remember that because I, now, I didn't know I got a 9 a.m. talk on your time zone because Phoenix is what is considered West Coast tomorrow uh, until later. So um, 9 a.m. your time, I'm going to be doing a lecture for the autism track mm. at the, the summit, the event I'm doing. But So 10 a.m. is the summit call. Yeah. So an hour that after that. So I'm only going on for a half hour. So I should be able to make that call wherever I am. Okay. And then get ready for the live broadcast that afternoon. So right now we don't have any scheduled guests. We might have surprise guests, but, you know, just set up whatever's in the news and we'll, uh, what other cycle. If you find other good selenium stories, that was awesome today. And we'll do it. I don't know if I'll find a selenium story. Those are about once or twice a year. Yeah, those are rare. Yeah. I yeah. know, like the rare earth elements. So. <laughs> hmm. All right. Um, so unless there are any comments, questions coming in through the various chat rooms and rumble, if there's another one, we'll do it. Otherwise, we're going to head on out because I got to get, finish packing up for the airport set so, uh jim says can you uh well next time we get uh emord on can we ask him about what his take our take is on ag gag laws i'll have to look that up what's an ag yeah gag give law? us some links on that jim so we can send it to him yeah. in advance and i'm sure he'll be happy to to hit that as well certainly yeah yep okay all right thanks well, y'all for being here thanks to jonathan emord once again, and um, I won't make you show that picture again of me with the bicep, but it wasn't <laughs> photoshopped. But I do want to say, again, thank you to Nutritional Frontiers. And if you guys want to build some lean muscle mass, dude, that super creatine formula they have, it, it rocks. I'm telling you. I do the cardio miracle, and then I do the super creatine, and I hit the gym, and good Lord, it's, you know, I put on some serious muscle mass from that. And I'm not, again, doing quote-unquote bodybuilding. Um, just a little bit of lightweight training. They have one round where you'll use some dumbbells or a medicine ball or something like that. But it's more of a circuit of, of uh, high-intensity type training for three minutes and all that. So uh, it's pretty impressive. Uh, NutritionalFrontiers.com, even the on-sale items are on sale bigger for you because you use the code RSB15 to get that discount. And we'll and I see. Think, Bob I think you got point. free shipping uh, up yeah, until the end of the month. And, uh, after or 99 or bucks. Free shipping. Yeah. And that's huge. Yeah. So. All thank right, dude. We'll have have a, a good flight. Thank you. Thank It'll you. be a short one, which is yeah. nice. Yeah. I don't mind. And uh, we'll see you uh, tomorrow from Phoenix, Arizona. You got it. All right. Have a good afternoon, everybody.